Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back once again to Salt Streets Podcast, the show where we discuss news, government, and culture, and how it pertains to you, the individual, and the and your natural rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As always, we are your hosts. I am that big bird-looking fellow they call Colin, and I am joined by my co-host, brother-in-arms, the Nero of Neoprene, the original Salt of the Street himself, Donovan. Donovan, how are you today? I'm doing excellent, Colin. Thank you very much. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Josh Keaton. Drove all the way down here from the great white north of Washington State. <laughs> uh, we, he is known as a, a man with sitcom dad energy and an amateur historian, which I can't wait to poke about because I want to see how you consider yourself a, uh, an amateur historian. I'm very excited about that. Welcome to the show, Josh. Well, thank Thanks for you. coming. Um, Donovan. Can yes. you please tell the people where we are at in the Salt of the Streets timeline and what it is today we're going to be talking about? Yes, sir. Today is Saturday, July 9th. It is 12.10 p.m. This is episode 129 of Salt of the Streets. Today, we have a lot of big stuff going on. So first, we're going to do, of course, our Let Me Ask You This Question. We're going to fire mm-hmm. up that in just a little bit. Then we're going to get to know Josh a little bit so that we know who we're talking to, what we're getting into. And then we have, we're going to end this segment by kind of leading ourselves into the next one. We're going to talk about the conclusion of the Bremerton High School, Joe Kennedy versus Bremerton School District uh, Supreme Court case. And that will lead us into our second segment, our second part there. And we're going to talk about some other various different Supreme Court cases um, and the way that they have concluded. And part three, we're going to be talking a couple of different things. Student loan forgiveness, we're going to be talking about the Don't Say Gay Bill a little bit because you are a teacher, you're sub, right? And so that's, we've been, we've, We'll get into it a little bit later, but we've had a hell of a time getting people in here to talk to us about the Don't Say Gay Bill. Uh, people who openly don't agree with us, but and not that you don't agree with us, we haven't discussed it, but we've just had a hell of a time getting people in here to talk about this. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We are going to talk about, which I, I built it to you as a leftist influence on education. And I told you that was just kind of the easiest way to put it under one distinct label. And so we'll dive in and, and kind of how. how Hash that out a little bit more as we get in. But when we say that, we really do mean leftist, not like Democrat or left-leaning. We mean like leftist, hardcore ideology, Marxist ideology that is potentially in intending to subvert the country itself, the society. That's kind of what we're getting at. So we'll, gotcha. we'll parse through that a little bit more. And, of course, we have the grab bag segment. We have what just last night we found out that Elon Musk is no longer going to be purchasing Twitter. Twitter yeah. Jesus is not going to save us, <laughs> right? So we found out about that. We have the Georgia Guidestones that were destroyed. One of them was destroyed earlier this week, and then they were yeah. taken down. And then we also have, what, the Dutch farmer protest that is going on. Yeah, buddy. So that's scary. Have you heard about the Dutch farmer protest? I, I vaguely. I was actually very interested to hear your takes because yes. I need to learn more. It's yeah, the been Dutch real interesting. Wild. Yeah, yeah, wild stuff. I did not know about that, and then uh, we came to work on Wednesday. And Colin was like, yo, have you heard about these protests? <laughs> I was like, I kind of like saw, you know, mentions and then he showed me videos and pictures and the whole fucking, oh, yeah. you know, interstates taking up and shit or whatever they call them there, you know, freeways, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, whatever those Europeans call them things over there. Yeah, the 10 lane highways that they have running through the middle of everything. I yeah. But, yeah, so yeah. we have a great, great show for everyone going here. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Bilbo Swaggin, obviously, on YouTube. We have our Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, all of that at Salt of the Streets. We have our own personal social media. I'm at Salt of the Street on Twitter at alpaca underscore donovan on instagram collins at big Brafia on both those things do you want to pimp your social medias you don't have to oh i'm good for right now all right well there we go <laughs> josh is here with us and uh saltofstreets.com for all this information that's Yeet. it location skate shop down down bremerton did you know that ryan martin opened up a skate shop ryan martin ryan martin that we ryan slogo martin yes wow he opened a skate <laughs> shop in downtown bremerton it's called location skate shop and we don't 
they don't pay us or anything, but we pimp them regularly because it's a fantastic environment. We've been there many times, and he designed it. They designed it. He's one of the co-owners of it. They designed it as a spot for kids to go in the community to not cause trouble and be able to skate and That's have awesome. a positive environment. It's, yeah. it's absolutely excellent. Yeah, no, and it's a beautiful shop, too. It's excellently designed. He has a bunch of his photographs everywhere. It's very <laughs> It's a good. great spot for skating, too, because it's right there on 4th Street. It's that, yes. that cool, windy area like that. A lot of park benches and right stuff like that, which, of course, oh, I'm sure nobody nice. is skating on or something like that. But <laughs> they put a ra- they, they have rails they put out in the street all the time. They That's have their legit. own rails. Yeah, and they close down yeah. 4th Street constantly for all kinds of different yeah. stuff, events, and everything. It's like right on the same... Right down from the Roxy Theater in Bremerton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love to see that those local businesses and stuff given like actually doing something for the community like that, not just like trying to set up shop and make some dollars. It's like, hey, yeah, we're doing that, but we're also giving people a place to go. And especially when you're talking about the the times we live in today with kids that just have way too much time in zero direction, they need places like that to go. And so, Very true. You know, and especially it works out great because you apparently know everybody in Bremerton. Um, it just we you have all these connections, town. and it's it's great, man. I've lived here my entire life, so this is, <laughs> right. this yeah, right. is how I remember being a kid and feeling that way about other people's parents because my mom was not from here, but it seemed like people who had parents who were from here they fucking knew everyone. My know? mom's the same way. Yeah, yeah, so it was just like, how is this possible? Like I don't understand. And now, now that I'm an adult, I'm almost thirty. I'm like, well, I just fucking know everyone. Like, yeah. just, <laughs> there's, when there's forty thousand people in your town, you just know a little bit of everybody yeah. everywhere. I have a feeling that like me dipping out for ten years probably probably did not help my my social circles in the in the local realm because you know you right. dip out for those especially that 10 years the first 10 years of, like your adult life yes that's when you're making all those real long-lasting connections within the community as everybody kind of you know grows out from high school and college and stuff like that the people that stay and i was just like well i'm out Bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and i come back and i don't there's some people that'll recognize me every now and then. hey man we went to school together or something right i'm like I mean, could be, man. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like, I I don't have that much space in here for that kind of stuff anymore. Right. I, don't, I don't remember maybe half a dozen people I went to high school with. When if you, I think if you, I think you're right. If you stayed around here, and even if you didn't kick it with them, but if you ran into them yeah. or saw them in the community, your memory would be like bumped a little bit all the time. So mm-hmm. ten years down the road, even if you didn't kick it, you would remember them, yeah. and you'd be able to see them like, oh, I fucking you know had this class with this guy or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, being gone that whole time, you'd lose out on any of that boosting that it's going to be. So you just oh, yeah. cut them all out. <laughs> it's no longer relevant. Right. <laughs> I do occasionally run into this gal and uh, her husband. I knew her husband pretty well in high school, and um, she used to ride my bus in high or in junior high and high school and shit like that. She ended up going out and becoming a porn star, and oh, then shit. ended up coming back and all this stuff and now they're happily married got a couple kids and shit and but are they his uh i i, I <laughs> okay. would i would assume i don't know oh my god but yeah that's that's it's an interesting thing man when you think about your young adult years like that yeah. there's so much of your life that's formed and your future is so kind of built off of that first few years once you kind of get out there into the world it's very yeah. interesting to think about yeah but but anyways enough of me yeah, no, with that, Colin, let me ask you this, right? So, and Josh, again, you don't have to ask this question. You're more than welcome to. Something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Colin, do you think that it is possible for someone to be truly objective, right? Or do you think that we kind of have to just acknowledge or accept the biases that we have, for lack of a better term, and kind of be conscious of them and just work around them when mm-hmm. we're trying to dissect information that we're taking in? Um, so, as... 
a general rule, no. Nobody can be perfectly objective. You can have isolated pockets of thought where you think as objectively as possible, but nobody is immune to biases in their lives. That's how, that's how you become a person. There's, I just I don't think that's real. But I think the sooner you recognize that you cannot be objective fully, and you recognize that you do have biases, you'll be much more apt to recognize them and to be able to understand when your biases are playing into something you're thinking about. Uh, but yeah, no, that's an insane thing to think. Of. That's like a control group in a science project. That's not right. It's, it's, it's purposely not, it's pur purposely isolated and cannot be brought into like objective reality. Yeah. I mean, it's not a real thing, but it's a good place to like, it's a good, it's a good goal to strive for. Because that way you'll always be trying to think of as objective as possible. But no, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Oh, I would agree. Like, <clears throat> we're all like sociological beings. And so your um, experiences will entirely affect your, like, objectivity. And while you might think that you can be objective, the reality is that you're going to have background information that totally affects your judgment. And right. I always hate that, like, whenever you're, like, news articles, like, oh, we're objective. And it's like... That's right. impossible. Like, mm -hmm. everyone's going to have a spin. It might be minor. It might be major. But you can't, you know, look at something and have an objective opinion about something. Because right. yeah. you are your experiences, and that's going to affect your worldview. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, I think that's really good. And the reason that I – well, not the reason, but I think those are great answers. And what I was thinking about this a lot lately um, – after I watched the Matt, the Matt Walsh documentary, right? Matt Walsh, Daily Wire. They just did the, a what documentary. Was the, like, what is a woman? What is a woman? Yeah. I just watched that. And as I was done, Jordan and I watched it together. And I said, I appreciate that they didn't try and be objective. Like, they were not veiled about the way they feel about this situation. They were honest about it. There was no deception. But they were open about the way they feel about it, which I appreciate, right? Mm -hmm. When we first started the show... We were huge on like we're objective all the time like we're just going to be that we're totally objective we're not going to let any spin get into anything and i think it just took us time to realize that we can't do that yeah. right and now we i take pride in the way that we present information objectively present raw information mm -hmm. right past that our discussions we are open that we have biases about it we feel yeah. the way that we feel and that's the way that we're going to discuss them we think as a show as individuals that freedom and liberty is the way to go so that is yeah. how all of our opinions are going to lean and when we're presenting things and we're reading things we'll even go through and correct ourselves like oh i can't say that because that's i'm adding something to this and that's not what they said like that's not what this article says we'll be very clear about okay this is opinion time now you know mm -hmm. and the further we get into this, that's what I find that I respect most about individual news companies is their ability to acknowledge their biases and not say, like you said, that they're being objective. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the morning shows we listen to is done by ABC. It's called Start Here. They have like a, do you know this podcast? Mm -hmm. it's, it's like a terrible. 20 minute. It's, yeah, we, we listen to them from NPR, um, Axios, ABC, there's like several different left-leaning yeah. news companies that we, all of their morning podcasts, we'll listen to them all as soon as we get to work. And the start here one there's always an ad for the george stephanopoulos show whatever yeah. it is his weekly <laughs> show and his ad is like you know we're taking the biggest stories and cutting through the spin so we can present this <laughs> i love like, that you worked in the clinton administration like you worked in, yeah. in her campaign you can't try and lie and say that you can even attempt to be objective because no. you're not 
and that's where I lose respect for all these corporate news companies, all this type of shit, because you're still trying to present yourself as objective when the entire world, the whole country in particular, knows exactly where you sit on a particular issue, mm -hmm. you know? And if all of them, CNN, all MSNBC, Fox News, all of the corporate news companies would just be honest about their spin, I think they would, they would be more successful, yeah. you know? Yeah, because I think when you, if you look at, bias in general right and objectivity you're you're essentially talking about the difference between fact and truth like fact is a fact is a fact period a string of facts together can mean something that can build you a truth but at the end of the day a fact is true mm -hmm. but it, it That's but the truth comes to what you apply that fact to mm -hmm. yeah but otherwise yeah you may like a news outlet like abc or something like that could just give you the facts and then just be done with it right and that would be as as objective a news source as you can get but nobody does that because facts Not anymore facts alone are, are without context generally and then they don't really mean anything other than a random statistic or some shit right. like that so yeah i think that's it's a problem especially in the corporate press because they've allowed their their truth to get to just completely take over the facts at that point. And then there's then there's nothing but unobjective, biased opinion well, yes. spun and, wo and woven around what started as a fact somewhere. Mm -hmm. Question, though, is do you think that that – could we even go back to like – it's always like this kind of idealization of like the old Walter Cronkite days oh, where yeah. he came on, he said what the news are, it's like blank happened. He didn't give a spin and then he left. Do, we, do you think that we could even go back to that news? Like, is there an appetite that the American people want that? Or is it just like, is that gone? Like, I think it's gone. If you ask me, I think it's gone. I, I don't think the, I don't think society as a whole could stomach that now, especially. I don't know if we ever could have. And I don't even know if that was actually the, truth. the case back then. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, I wasn't around back <laughs> yeah. then. I, I can only go off of, you know, who knows how long news has always been spun one direction or another. I would imagine it's always been that way because there's always right. going to be people behind it. And Choosing. somebody decides right. that this is the story that's most important to talk mm -hmm. about today. And that, that Even that shows what stories you talk about show your bias. Oh, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, think, I think that as a people, we are more conscious – of that fact that people, individuals don't have the ability to be objective. So I don't know that we as a society would trust an individual mm -hmm. person like we did back then yeah. because mm -hmm. someone is going to know, even if you start to trust him, like, oh, but he's a piece of shit because yep. he definitely is lying about something. You know, yeah. he definitely has some type of feeling about something. What is he leaving out about this? What did his writers leave out about this? Like you said, yeah. even if it's not that person, someone who's preparing this, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, you watch Breaking Points? Yeah. Yeah, so Breaking Points, we we fucking shit on them all the time, right? And one of the deals is because at the end, they're always like, we're trying to build a new mainstream. It's like, okay, you're missing the point. Like, you don't, we don't want a new mainstream. Yeah. That's not the point. That's completely counter to what new media, YouTube, all of this shit is doing. We don't want a new mainstream. We mm -hmm. want you guys to be yourselves on a show together. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't no. want to watch them on, like... I think the production quality is, like, important. But, oh, like, yes. Yeah. I do think that, like, the... I do like the ability to be like, hey, this is a topic. Let me watch a 10-minute video about it. I, yes. I, like, I think that's a good thing. And I do, like, I hate at the end of every episode. It's like, I don't want that. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, just do what you're doing. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I just wish Sagar would just realize that he can, he, he should be more himself and, and stand behind his own, his own opinions a little bit more than I think he does. That's, I, Crystal's lost it, in my mind. Crystal Ball, 
one of the co-hosts if you don't watch the show um she has just gone yeah check out breaking points um you can find them on youtube there's lots of they put out their kind of like their main segments and stuff Mm -hmm. on youtube hashtag not an ad (laughs) hashtag not an ad for the youtube gods for the youtube gods plus i wouldn't want to give them that much attention to be honest (laughs) (laughs) as as somebody that's been trying to make a show for you know four years now um i look at those types of things way differently than i used to Mm -hmm. and i I judge them a lot more than I ever used to, too, for, for all sorts of different things. Like, I love their high production quality. I also think they probably don't need as many people involved, <laughs> and it would probably bring them a little bit more down to earth a little bit more if they were a little bit closer to the actual production. Um, it might make what they talk about a little bit more important to them, and they might be a little bit more truthful. But I, I just I don't have respect for people nowadays that are afraid to say what they want to say or to or to just uh, put out like a little teaser like that and then just to be like hey i well i want to get my two cents in real quick but then i'm not going to defend it i'm gonna let you steamroll over my idea and all that it's, if you have something to say silence is a lie so do not do that otherwise you're selling me something and i don't trust you anymore yeah it's but overall i mean i still listen to their show damn near still watch I mean, me all i time. still yeah, yeah all the time yeah but, yeah they, they haven't gone off the deep end necessarily and i know what they are now so it's easier to watch because i know what i'm gonna get mm-hmm. but it's well, it's painful to watch sometimes yeah i think the one thing i will say though is like i well i do think there's a place for new media one of the things i always dislike is there's never i feel like they're always kind of complaining and never solution oriented yeah. like like they, yes. like breaking points is a great example they yes. always talk about the problems. yeah but they're never they're <laughs> never yes they're never <laughs> talking about candidates or policies that could fix said problems and it's like, as a voter, like, I, I mean, obviously I need to be informed and stuff, but it's just like, like, how far can we get by just bitching about the system? Like, we, right. we do that all the time. Yes. And like, we all, everyone knows that America has a ton of problems, but like, what can we do to fundamentally fix it? Who are the candidates that make it so like, we can get in positions where we don't have to pick Biden or Trump in 2024 again? Right. You know? yeah. It's like, it just, because oh. everyone's just going to be like, that, that's, it's crazy that like, that's what it's going to come, like, it's probably going to come to, oh, God, because it's like, not. we haven't you know, it's like you can't pass right. policy by just complaining all the time. Yeah. No, and when you do some of the few times that we, I feel that we have heard solutions from them, Crystal Ball in particular, it's stuff like, the last time when she talked in depth about the, the oil industry, she's like, we should just nationalize the whole thing. That's not a solution. Like, you can't just take everyone's companies away and just decide that's the solution to the answer. It's also like, super long term. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't, it doesn't, that's not how it works. You, yeah. know, you know, we're just going to change the whole way this system has worked the entire time this country has existed. Like, it just, it's not that simple to just nationalize an entire industry in a deeply, deeply capitalist society, mm-hmm. you know? So I just don't yeah. – The it's like the flippancy about it too. It's like it could just happen overnight. You know, oh, yeah. Biden would just nationalize the gas industry and then it would be no problem. It's like, yeah. Well, it's just not the filibuster and it will solve all <laughs> the problems. Shit like that. Yeah. Well, if you did it, then it would be no problem. But it's not that simple because 10 years from now you'll be bitching about the mm-hmm. same fucking problem Two on the other side. Two years from now. <laughs> yes. Just, yes. Just like you bitch today about the lack of filibuster with judicial nominations. You bitch about it here because you're not getting what you want, and yep. it's a problem yes. for you. When it was the same party that took it out, I don't remember when it was a Harry Reid era, right? But when they went in, they used the old nuclear option, and then just so Mitch McConnell was like, name. "All right, word." Well, t- 
10, right. 10, 15 years later, we are set, man. There's a stack three of them. Yeah. And all, and all through the Trump administration, all the Democrats had to say was, oh, Trump is just ramming through all these judges. We, you, you just made it this <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, you made and it easier. You did it. Mitch McConnell said, don't do this. Don't fucking do this yep. because it's going to be a bad idea. You're going to hate what happens when you're not here anymore. And where the fuck are we? We now have Trump federal judges all throughout the country. You say we got for three, life. For, for life. life. <laughs> we got three Supreme Court justices. What are we talking about? And you have nothing to say. You you don't have any solid ground to stand on and complain about the state, the status of the current circuit court system because you fucking made it this way. Yep. You constructed you you contrived the situation and the circumstances that allowed this to happen. Mm-hmm. You literally don't have any license at all to talk about this. Nope. You made it this way. <laughs> so I don't I don't care. Like I don't regardless of whether or not I agree with these people because I don't fucking know them. It, you don't get to bitch about it because mm-hmm. you made it this way. It's like if, like, don't make policy that like your enemy could just reverse on you. Yeah, yeah. it just seems weird. It's like okay, so now the threshold is lower. You give Trump a, Trump a trifecta in 2016. Boom, 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 boom. Yep. And now like I, it's funny the Democrats are complaining about the Supreme Court, but it's like, <laughs> right? You made your bed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to lie in it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate, man. Um, it be, especially because these. The system that we're currently in is the system that, generally speaking, most of these same people created for themselves. And now they bitch about how there's systemic failures all throughout the system, which they've all been there for like 30 plus years. They made this, man. I mean, it's it's this. And for people that don't understand that, I almost feel bad. I do feel bad for them. Because they get swept right along in this this craze of you know As this political worship. A civics teacher, this last couple of weeks has been so hard. Oh, the, the lack of understanding of how the system works uh, oh, in grown so, ass adults, right? Dude, seriously, yeah. if right? people just like like, what's the point of voting? And it's like you can't just win <laughs> one election. If you want to change policy, you have to vote and win a lot. Right? Oh yeah, particularly. <laughs> On the elections that you never think about. All these fucking yard signs outside yeah. right now. You're driving. It's it's primary season, people. All the yard signs right now. Pay attention to those people. We we're just right before you got here. Um, Don and I were looking at uh, oh, what's what her name? Smiley. Something, Something Smiley. smiley. Um, Tiffany. Tiffany Smiley. Yes. Tiffany Smiley. Yeah, she's running against Patty Murray um, and trying to get into the the Senate. I mean, most and that's on a federal level, but I mean. Right along with her is Derek Kilmer and then a bunch of other people running Tara for Simmons, like... Tara Simmons, yep. Yeah, those are all like local representatives. County commissioners and things like that. Those are the people that were the ones at the... Like the county commissioners, for example, were the ones that me and you were watching like the local you know, commissioners board when it came to whether or not the county was Im- going to implement like vaccine requirements and mask mandates mm-hmm. and all this shit. The federal government is generally really bad at affecting your day-to-day life. We've made it much easier for them mm-hmm. over the last you know, 20-plus years. Right. But, but ideally, it's those people that you don't know of because they're not celebrities yet in the political world. Those elections are important. The people that run the school board, the people on your county commissions, that your, your mayors of your towns and your, your cities and things like that. Governor. Governor. Yes. Hell yeah. The we learned governor. a lot of that from COVID. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The governor is the president of your state, yep. essentially. You think of it like that. And if you don't take it that seriously, mm-hmm. you're doing yourself and everyone else that you care about a disservice because he's the dude. Our governor is still we're, – we're still in a, what, a state of emergency here. Or a, he still yeah. has emergency powers. He still yeah. has emergency powers. 
The no, only I, governor in the United States. Yeah. That really? Yes, oh, the geez. only one. We're one of three states where the governor decides when the emergency powers end. Yeah. And unfortunately, wow. his last election was against somebody that... Uh, We'll just call him like a, yeah, he was like a, a Trumpian figure. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you had a Biden-Trump situation going on right here in our own state. Yeah. Colt didn't offer anything. He didn't. No. He, he was the same person. He just bitched. Mm -hmm. He just bitched, said, we're not, we're going to reverse all this stuff. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, you're not helping here. All you're doing is rallying people up, and you're not coming out with any, you're not solutions-oriented mm -hmm. at all. You just bitch a lot and get a bunch of people all worked up so they can give you some votes. Yeah. You're not going to convince every man that that's going to work for you, man. Yeah, and a it's super blue state, too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Extremely blue. Extremely blue. Yeah. Not per square mile, but in the population centers. Well, it's the King real County. powers. Right. Yeah. Yeah, King, King County. County and Snohomish. Pierce. Walkham's pretty. Well, yeah. From where I'm from, Burlingham's super liberal. Yeah. And uh, Spokane area, right? They're pretty. They're that pretty city, blue, right? Yes, that's the yeah. city. Yeah. As soon it's as all you population get outside centers. of the city, you hit you hit desert again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's I'm pretty sure that's everywhere Fuck in the country. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, I mean, you see those maps, um, like you know, after like a uh, a presidential election or something like that, and like eighty percent of the country's area is like red. Yeah, and then you got these little dots of blue around like that. It's all the cities because well, that's where everybody fucking lives. Right. It's it's. Land it seems weird vote. when you look at it, but yeah, it does. Land does not vote. So, you said you're a civics teacher, uh, or you teach civics Social at studies. some point. So history, civics, everything's all in the right so purview. Tell us a little bit about your career in teaching. Career in teaching. So, um, I went to Western Washington University, got a bachelor's degree in history slash social studies, and so I can teach social uh, history, U.S. history, world history, civics. I can actually technically teach um, psychology, which I don't think I should, Ooh, but it's technically under like the same purview. There's a lot of that <laughs> in my reading of like uh, the social-emotional learning curriculum and stuff mm. like that. There's a lot of that type of stuff, it seems, where they're asking a lot of teachers to teach small pieces of psychology when it's like – should you yeah be do, do you have a degree <laughs> you for sure? this like do you know how to do this or are they just teaching you how to yeah. do this and you're just going to do it like because yeah, i'm pretty a... sure i gotta pay a as somebody that went to like a decade of school hundreds of dollars an hour to go get some actual like psychology you know done to me right. if i want some i i'm not trying to throw shade on teachers but i don't know if that's like in the general purview of an of, a, of your average teacher it just doesn't mm, seem like right. it should be i don't know that might just be me but. Yeah, so um, I went to Western, took a couple years off, and just I went back to school in 2020, and I got my teaching certification so that um, I finished school in last December. So as of January, I'm licensed to teach social studies within Washington State. Okay. So I've just been uh, teaching a lot of uh, U.S. history and civics. Those are my two main things in my positions. I had like a leave replacement, so I was a teacher for a couple months. Mm -hmm. And then I've just been subbing since then. I actually have an interview on Tuesday, so hopefully Ooh, that goes well. For a permanent position? Mm -hmm. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Um, what uh, what grades do you usually teach? Secondary. So I can teach middle school and high school. Oh, nice. Word. Mm -hmm. So that's an all-encompassing. So there's primary school, which would be you know elementary yeah. school. K and then after five. that, it's the same certification. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense to me, I guess. elementary schools, um, I wouldn't, it's a lot more parenting skills. Like, you're essentially a second parent to those kids. Right. That makes sense. Like, oftentimes, if you're, like, a first-grade teacher, you probably see that kid more than the parents do. Very often. Oh, easy. Yeah. Like, I used to work at the YMCA. I had kids who would come in at 7 a.m. and leave at 6 p.m. And so, like, they're at school for 11 hours of the day. And right. so, like, they're with their parents for, what, two hours and then go to bed? Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, 
That's you're wild. with you're with those kids for a fat amount of time of their life. You're essentially a second parent. Man. So we've talked about that a lot when yeah. we talk about Jordan's a stay-at-home mom, and that's part of the reason is because I fucking work twelve hours a day. You know? Yeah. I would rather have his mom with him for twelve hours a day mm -hmm. and have Reason's mom with her for twelve hours a day than some fucking person that I don't know, you mm -hmm, know, yeah. whether even if you're a great person or whatever, some fucking person that I don't know that is going to end up knowing my kid better than either I or his mom does yeah. because we want to do other shit, mm -hmm. you know? Well, and on top of that, like, regardless, you could know the teacher. He could, the teacher could be one of your friends you grew up with or something like that. You could know them. You could trust them. Could be Josh. It, yes, 100%. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's not, you're not their parent. Right. You know, there is nobody on this earth that is better equipped to, to deal and teach their child than their own parents, whether or not in most they're cases, teaching yeah. them <laughs> the right things or not. I mean, that's up to them. But I, I would imagine it just seems like the more natural way to go. So anybody like whether or not you have a hesitation on the generalized state of education or anything like that in the country, um, just that fact that you're giving over your child's education and the, the their entire bringing up to an entire a state employee a state employee <laughs> I, I wasn't gonna go quite there but, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's a, what we a are different person i did your taxes pay my salary yep. right <laughs> and i'm glad it's one of the reasons i'm glad you're here because i wow. know that you can appreciate the objectivity of all of this you know what i'm saying that at the end of the day a teacher, a police officer, they're agents of the state. These yeah. are these are people, they're employees of the state. Like yeah. these are and that's not necessarily a denigrative thing, but that is the that's reality true. of that position that you mm -hmm. are a, an agent of the state. Your yeah. job is one thing or another. You work for the state. You yeah. work for the federal government. You you know what I'm saying? So I don't know if you might people know this really or not. About that no, I know right? <laughs> <laughs> but is there a way to let's say you're in the you could be a teacher in like the private sector the a non-state run entity are they required to be certified and licensed in the same manner or is it state run or um i'm pretty sure like if you work at a private school you still need state, state certifications because um even if because even if you go to like a private school you still have to have um like state standards and stuff mm -hmm. Right, and so well, it's different, and the funding comes from different places. Like where I'm from, Bellingham, there's a really big private school called Linden Christian School, and so in order to be a teacher there, you still have to go through like the normal stuff. But they have different standards, usually more religious place because they're a Christian school. Mm -hmm. you, and as a te an employee, you typically need to um, follow their values, or at least like you know, and, and so things like that. And so it's definitely more. Um, they have way way more control than a public school would have over their employees, but you still have to. There's still certain standards that you have to go for. And do they have more control over their curriculum as well? Like, you oh, know, obviously, they yeah. have state standards. But um, even outside of a Christian school, if you just had just a private school, like a – what the fuck do they call that? The um, Montessori's? Yeah, there's another – a charter school, right? A charter oh, yeah. school is just a private – right? Where, like, even if you're not religious-based, you still have way more control over your curriculum as long as you're meeting the state standards, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, like Bilbo, private schools in India – Indiana, <laughs> Indiana. Sorry, um, get uh, federal and local funding. And one of the things we're going to talk about in part two is um, the Supreme Court case. I don't remember which one. I have it written down here. Um, Carson versus Macon. Mm. That has to do with the school vouchers for religious schools. So that's one of the things oh, yeah. we're going to talk about in part two. Um, yeah, I find that very interesting. It's super interesting, and I think that it kind of relates 
I thought that it related a lot with the Kennedy case, you know, just with the the Venn diagram of the religious issue that's going on there. I find it very interesting. Um, so, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit more. Oh, I had another question for uh, another school. question. It'll come back to me. <laughs> I have like all these school questions that I'm like, all right. So how does this, this system really work as an insider? Curriculum. Let's talk about curriculum. When you became a teacher, you got licensed and certified. Mm -hmm. um, you get hired at a school. How is a teacher that is brought on, whether it be a substitute or not, how are they informed about that particular school's curriculum? So first and foremost is state standards. Washington State um, has set certain state standards that um, as a teacher I have to meet. So first, first and head is the state. Um, and then you have your uh, district standards. They can... Um, they can depend, like for instance, Bellingham Public Schools, they do history um, categorically. So it's not, they don't go linearly, like they don't start, let's say U.S. history. Mm. We're not starting at Columbus and ending at like 9-11. Mm -hmm. It would go war, social justice, or um, like revolutions. And so it's, uh, it would bounce around, but they're all would be like thematically contained. Interesting. Like the, per, I'm sorry, not to, but like per quarter of the school year or whatever? It, it like depends. units, right? It, Just different it would be units, units and okay. then it would depend. Like uh, a, just, uh, a lesson on war would probably be longer than one on organizing. Right. Organizing. That's interesting. So at, we had played around earlier with your, your Twitter bio, calling yourself an amateur historian, right? Um, I take it you like you, – you're a fan of history. You, uh are you familiar with Dan Carlin's hardcore history? Of course, dude. I, was, of course. I literally just downloaded his uh, Apache oh. Apache Tears. Apache Tears. Oh. And I was going to listen to that um, so good. on my run. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I love so, Dick. as a fan of history, understanding you know, how do you balance the. I like to look at history through a timeline. I feel like it makes sense because generally, X plus y equals z you know you go through the timeline of history you get to point b because things happen in world point war a. one leads to world war two exactly like how do you feel about the difference in in teaching history to to children now that where you may not you you might lose that kind of timeline centered you know basis of history it, do you think there's pluses minuses you know what's your take on that so caveat i think history i prefer linearly mm -hmm. i think it just makes more sense but Fuck yeah, yeah, I, yeah that's yeah. It, it literally is a timeline but <laughs> i do i do think that um yes his mongol one is amazing um oh, I, yeah. I i Definitely. do think that um we have to have the caveat that a lot of kids aren't going to be entirely all there during mm -hmm. school and so i think it's better so i think the categorically is is kind of going more towards like at least they get something like like we can talk about war. So at least they'll know about like all the wars and they know about organizing like and, a generalized yeah. And idea. It's, yeah. And it's a little bit easier to maybe have a little bit more concise, like one month lessons versus like if you miss like. I feel like if you miss like the Civil War unit, it might be a little bit harder to understand some of the more like maybe like later American like 1880s and 90s stuff just because mm -hmm. like that that history and so i do think there's a certain merit to it but it also does leave the kids like really confused because line linearly because if you talk about world war uh let's say talk about the spanish american war and then the world war ii all in the same unit they probably think this is a much more like condensed group of time but that's yeah. like 50 years and does this does that kind of modularization 
does that carry out through the entirety of secondary education? So maybe by the time you graduate, you could piece together all these things and mm-hmm. have a decent timeline. I th- yeah, I think that's the goal. Um, and again, that's um, the school district I student taught at. They just did history linearly, like the way that mm-hmm. we uh, typically think of it. Um, and so, yeah, it just it, d- it does depend on the the district and then the individual schools. Do you know how common it is that style of teaching for history? Because it seems like it's n- it seems newer. It feels like it would be super confusing. Like if yeah. I was a kid, especially in junior high, if you're just starting to learn about it, it feels like it would be really confusing to try and piece together that timeline if you're chunking it up like that into just subjects of history. Yeah, I think um, it it would it's um, it could be more confusing. I I I. Like when I, I was doing a student teaching at um at a high school and so I, t- I taught about um this war is a great example and so yeah. I went through um so I started at the Civil War and then I ended at Vietnam and so really yeah because like I have to go through like a hundred years of war and That's I had a like lot. a month to do it and so it kind Ooh, of <laughs> and so like the kids and it was it was super condensed it was it was an interesting time. Um, well, I'm sorry, what grade did you say this was? This was, U.S. History is like 10th, 11th grade there? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think that we were juniors when we took U.S. History. I'm Mr. Land. I'm pretty sure I was a junior. Yeah. Um, so, I think by doing that, you do get more of the conversation about conflict. Like, we, we, we stayed mostly on conflict and the idea of, like, why do people fight? And, like, like why do why did we fight in World War One? Why did we fight in World War Two? And so, we have, like a little bit of um like cohesion but i do think that like there's a little bit of confu- uh i think there is a bit of confusion on um i guess it's like the the length of things because right. it, it is it is hard to like you know if you're talking about the civil war in one week and then two weeks later you're at world war Two, right and like i did do it linearly within the war so i think that helped a little bit but but i definitely felt like I wish I wish I could have branched off and been talking about like civil war and then talked about you know African American justice because like we have reconstruction right. and yeah. then transition towards like Western expansion and then get to like the Spanish American War. So, but right. you kind of have to like put those in a little bit in order because you still need context. Like history, context yeah. is king. Right. And so so I still have to put it in kind of anyway. And that's what I was going to ask you is: Do you feel like when you said you were talking about what are the causes of war? Why were people fighting? Do you feel like by only talking about the conflicts and maybe a little bit of context before and after do you feel that the kids were able to get a good understanding of why that conflict happened yeah i think so i think it could have been better yeah like like i think because um yeah yeah because like I, I when i talked to them and i went over the work it did seem like they mostly got it but i do think that like you're missing out a little bit of like world war ii when you can't talk about the like like, I really couldn't focus on the Holocaust a ton because that, that's not, like, right. within, like, uh, the purview of conflict. But it's, like, what how do you – like, 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 it is, <laughs> right, but, like, not in right. conflict. Like, that's not, a right. na- like, why nations fight, right? you know? And I – right. So I thought, of, I thought immediately about Vietnam, right? Because we – when we – when the United States pulled out of Afghanistan, we did a whole segment comparing that to, to the withdrawal from Vietnam, right? Yeah. And I've, I've re- even written a piece about Vietnam, and in my opinion – the war in Vietnam 
on the American side on the American side started after World War One. Like as soon as we were dropping troops there in the background to try and help the resistance, we were involving ourselves and in, in planting the seeds for Vietnam. The same way mm. when we were fucking with the Mujahideen, we were planting the seeds for us to be in Afghanistan 20, 30 years later. Yep. Right? Yeah. And I f- I don't know how you could I don't do you even dude I'm a con- how, like, like is that even I, is that part of the Vietnam War that deep of context presented when you talk about that? Or is it like this conflict began in Vietnam and then America involved itself? Well, you kind of – like when I talked about Vietnam, I had to kind of – a good example of Vietnam because like I had to take a um, – because I couldn't really talk about like that former stuff. Because on one hand, these are high school kids. Right. And, like right. you have to understand okay. that these yeah. kids are being forced to take this class. And while their investments could be – like, some kids could be super investment in, like, I'm yes. trying to get an A. Mm-hmm. Like, I think one of the hard things as a teacher is to understand some kids just want a D. Like, I just yeah. want to pass. I want yes. to get through this. And so it's like, <laughs> I wish I every kid was, like, eager and voracious for history like I am. But the reality is, is, like, I just had to teach it in a way that's, like, Russia, communism, Vietnam, America. That's, like, is it, you have to, like, condense it. Mm-hmm. So so much more. Like if it was like an oh, AP fuck. AP US history, oh we yeah. would have we would have drilled through that. Right. Yeah. But right. but like this you is know. just regular. Yeah. So that was another question that I had, kind of a general question. Um, is how do you as a teacher of history in particular, because I'm right with you, or the three of us. I fucking love history now. I can't get enough of it. I've I bought Ken Burns' Vietnam War documentary. It's one of my favorite pieces of film that I've ever seen in my Ken entire Burns life. It's, yeah. it's absolutely incredible. That's that was a huge base for our discussion about the Vietnam War on this show, was that documentary and other stuff that I learned from outside of that. And so how do you go about trying to make I don't know, I just remember how boring I thought all this shit was when I was in school. You know, how do you try and make that interesting? For people who do just want to D, who yeah. don't really want to give a fuck about it. Yeah, I think... Because um, it's important. You know how important no, history is. We all know how important history yeah. is. Yep. And even if you don't know in high school, it's extremely important, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a hard one because I, I, I personally think that, like, one of the things... History, I think, is a super underserved in schools. Yeah. A huge yes. issue is... There's this kind of stereotype in the history world is you get the football coach. The football coach is the school employee, what class can we give him so that he can work and then coach football in spring history? Because he can read through the book. Yeah. And ju- yeah. He, he okay. can hand the kids a textbook. Right. And so, and so you have the stereotype of just like kids are forced to just go through a, like a textbook. Yes. And that's how they get history. And so you have, like, unfortunately, a very large portion of America who just was given a book. And it's like, hey, like, read this book. We'll have a test on Friday. Yeah. And so it's just like, I think... And then it's it's also super frustrating because then they you know you can rinse and repeat that for thirty years and yes. then you're entire like one hundred fifty thousand a year salary, um, <laughs> and so I think as a younger teacher there's a certain like I guess <laughs> maybe chip on my shoulder because I want to like really change the way history curriculum is taught like I think mm-hmm. it's super important to use like the senses like one of the things I think is super important is taste and I when I was in college I had uh, a history professor who we had like seventeen hundreds coffee. It was awful. Really? It was awful. Ooh. But, like, I remember that. And, like, yeah. it was just, like, this this thing that makes you, like, like we're really doing all this stuff for this? And You're like, right. this shit ain't fucking exactly. coffee, man. Yeah. What is this? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what people used to drink. And so, like, I was, they I, like. They fighting over it. Yeah. <laughs> they are getting after it over it. Seriously. Yeah. And so, like, I think I really want to, like, do, um, uh, 
do like a better service to kids like using taste like i would love we're talking about like explorers like let's make hardtack yeah. like you have to try to eat like one it's super cheap as me as a teacher to make. yeah and two i think it'd be like cool for kids to be able to like you know taste a little bit of what it would have been like or um they learned about this thing called like cucumber ice cream apparently that was a thing in the 1800s okay. yes and so just like i think using the the senses in a much much better way would be a way to get at least if they don't I can't get them to love history, like I. But at least I do think it'd be more interesting as a student if, like, oh, we were talking about Christopher Columbus, and then we had hardtack, right. and it just like it would just Ooh, connect yeah. that thing more. So, I think so. Let me ask you kind of a three pronged question, right? Would you? That's just a great idea. Yeah, yeah that's an excellent <laughs> idea, right? So, would you take? Would you rather? And have you been looking for, or have you looked for jobs at a private school where you might have more freedom to do that type of stuff? Because if you present that type of that proposal, that curriculum proposal to a principal, to a headmaster, whatever you're calling them at that school, right? And they're, I don't even feel like you have to be that open minded. Like, mm -hmm. that's just a good idea. You know, if you present that to them, I feel like they're way more open and more able to, like, fucking go for it than a principal at a public school yeah know? um i guess i i haven't really like i've, I've been as i've been playing for jobs i haven't really seen a ton of private school stuff on that but i do gotta know, be harder to get i do know that actually public schools pay usually more than private schools okay so and Ooh, so a lot of times probably guarantees of what you have to make Dude, at, even like so the base well, like, public sector unions i mean right like if, here's an example <laughs> fuck yeah the teachers if union yes a full-time teaching job in a school district let's this which one stanwood seventy thousand a year starting whoa so you have this you have this stereotype of teachers getting low pay. So it's not bad didn't at all. Make shit. It's, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, a, that's like, more like, money than I make. Like we, we, <laughs> and so like versus I think it's probably be more of like fifty fifty thousand a year at a private school. Okay. And so, and, and then and then it increases by 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 years and stuff. And yes. so I think because of that, public schools typically tend to be more competitive than private schools. Often because there's usually like a religious angle to it. Mm. But yeah. at the same time. Private schools get a lot more funding for classrooms. Yeah. Like, like I was talking to one of my uh, coworkers, and he was telling me that, like, his history teacher had the funding to – they made a phalanx. Whoa, like, that's like, cool. Like, to show how it, like, how it would be, like, a defensive thing, oh. he, like – they had, like, little cardboard shields and spears – and to show how that would have been like a good defensive tactic, they made a phalanx, and it's Shield like, wall. yeah, yeah. And I just, it's just it's just hard to imagine a public school having the funds to do that unless, as a teacher, that had to come out of my pocket. Like yeah, I'd have to right. go to Rite Aid and like or get like Lowe's, get some boxes and make mm -hmm. it, which I think is worth it. But that is going to have to come out of my pocket. Whereas a private school, there's usually funds for that. And so, it seems like, and this is a total assumption, just as you're talking, it seems like if you were at a private school, the programs that exist probably are really well funded, and it might be harder to start a new program mm -hmm. you know but once you have it there they'll probably throw fucking money at it just mm -hmm. to make sure it's good yeah. you know and so i bet said private school sports are generally pretty good you oh. know they have obviously good uniforms and good equipment and stuff like that you don't have there's not as much i don't know it's it's just mm -hmm. better i feel you know yeah that's uh, interesting uh, bilbo swaggin says you remind him a lot of his old history teacher <laughs> and he loves it yeah so um, yeah, we've got a couple people with bilbo obviously huge yeah. in the comments zeke is here so oh. shout out yeah. zeke yeah. hello so let me ask you this question and i don't know how much exposure you would have to this um 
but we often talk about the overbloated budgets in a school district, right? The amount of money going to schools and we understanding the fact that from what we have been able to glean, the majority of the money goes to things like administrative costs. Have you seen any of that come through? What what does a school administration look like? What's the makeup? What kind of what kind of institution is is siphoning that money essentially out of the actual classroom and into like the administrative body of the school so i have a lot of thoughts about that and it's hard because i think schools are typically trying to do the right like do the best thing and they're you know they they add on employees to do the best job to serve their kids but at the same time that that brings in a lot of bloat and so, so there's a lot of positions that are, I wouldn't say unnecessary, but, but there's, um, they're additional, additional, I think, I think additional, like there's sometimes where it's just like, like, like for instance, sometimes and it's not always like the school's fault. Like for instance, if a kid gets in like legal trouble mm. and something happens to the point that they cannot be by themselves and they have to be monitored. The school has to then hire an employee specifically for monitoring that one student. Ooh. So that means that that person is now, now an extra $30,000 is going to the plus the, benefits and plus like, benefits yeah, is whole, now going to that employee deal. to make yeah. sure that that one kid that one child is is getting this these resources. And so you have interesting. this interesting like conflict of like every student needs to be served well. I entirely believe that. And then the school needs to serve each student well. But how do you do that with you can't do that while trying to hold a budget or well you obviously there's budget but like while trying to pinch pennies and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And you can't forecast for it either mm -hmm. because you never know. Like, what's an example of, like, a situation in which a child would need to be – is it, like, something where they have problems at home or they I, – I, I, Usually, um, if a – I don't know, like, the details of it because I don't exactly – that's a use of principle stuff. But, like, if a child does a crime, like, to a certain extent, they literally cannot be left alone. Okay. Like, and if so, the child itself commits but, a crime or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they need to be monitored at all times. And so even to go to the bathroom, they have to have – because as a teacher, I can't leave to watch them go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So they'll hire a yeah, person. Yeah, you're doing your job. Yeah, yeah. So they'll, they'll hire a person to be there. It's like, hey, I need you to the bathroom. And then they'll go with them. Mm -hmm. And you can't just hire that person for like an hour. You have to hire them a full-time employee. Yep. And so you you add that by, you know, big school districts are going to have a lot more of those positions. And then you have like, um, you know, the different departments like the SPED department, which has a lot of paraeducators to help all these different kids. And so that's like a super expensive um, oh, yeah. department as well. And so the and they, special education department. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of people. <clears throat> and then and then at like the district level, you have a ton of people who, you know, are, are doing different jobs. And I, I don't know, like know how much that entails, but there's a lot of um, uh, HR ish stuff mm -hmm. that that's kind of. I, I, I think there's a lot of bloat within that, but but it is kind of I don't I, but, I guess I can't say too much on it, but it does feel mm -hmm. like there's like, why is like three people who are like kind of feel like they're doing the same job? Yeah. And I feel like that's probably, that shouldn't surprise anybody because when you think about it, um, generally, you know, state school districts and stuff like that. I mean, it's a, it's a state run bureaucratic machine. 
And as we know, bureaucracies generally do one thing very, very well, and that's just expand exponentially over time because that's just the general nature of all bureaucracies, whether mm. it's state-run or not. But yeah, Bilbo, there's about 25 schools in this district. In your it's district. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really big. That is a big district, man. Yeah. 25 schools. Yeah, a lot of elementary schools and then a couple of middle and high schools. And so I remember first – I can only guess as to what would cause someone to need to be watched all the time. I do know, <laughs> when I was in high school, I used to do drugs in the bathroom all the time. So I would You're imagine. You're the person that took I, am, I imagine <laughs> if someone was caught doing something like that, you'd probably need to be watched all the time. Because you definitely would get in legal trouble. Mm -hmm. And you probably would, if you were let to go back to that school, you probably would need to be accompanied by someone all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Also, schools are trying to move away from expelling kids. And so instead of expelling them, they oftentimes will have, you know, usually use more resources to make sure they stay in school, mm -hmm. which means that they need to hire staff to yeah. do so. Yeah, because you expel a kid, there's only one way, only, generally speaking, there's only one direction that kid's going, and it's probably not going to be good. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, let's, let's face it, I mean, if you're not at school for eight to ten hours a day or involved in some kind of school district activity, you, what are you doing? The parents yeah. aren't going to be able to just take the entire day off. They're not going to switch their entire lives to homeschool or something. That's right. You know, it's it sucks because there is so much. I don't know why I'm so passionate about the state of state education because I'm I'm not a parent, but it's it is important to me and it's very different. So it's still your tax dollars. Yeah, your tax dollars. You own a house. It's still your tax dollars. This is true. And you don't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, exactly and, why it matters because yeah. you don't have kids. And I and I have the understanding that. It sounds so, you know, uh, cliche, but kids are our futures. I mean, let's, this is true. These are the people that are going to grow up and, and be productive or unproductive members of our society. And he's Dax's uh, godfather. That's Hello. right. <laughs> I have I have a little flag that I planted. It's that a one. small state. <laughs> yes. Um, but I I think it is Look also hard for people to like like me who are you know a little bit older than you guys that this stuff is so foreign to me because these things never. This whole system never was in place when I went to school. It was a much more, it was a much more cut and dry type of situation. Very Dude, hands even off. as I like this was yeah. like twenty, even my schooling like it's drastically different than what I've seen. Yeah, and I think that's it's hard for a lot of people to try to understand maybe the the newer demands that are put on school districts now for from both the legal side and then the social side as well. I mean, there's lots of right. external pressures that are being pushed on these <laughs> in these institutions, and you know. Bureaucrats aren't necessarily the best people to be making those calls all the time because, mm -hmm. but who does at that point? But if that's the machine you have, I guess that's the route you have to go to. You're, you're kind of chip committed because that's, unless we completely reinvent the entire state of our education, institutionalized educational system, which I think to pivot off of this, um, which is why I think school choice is so important. What are your opinions on school choice, and how do you think it might be more beneficial or less beneficial to kids? So I, I have a lot. Like I guess my thoughts would be like, I like the idea, I really do, but I think, I think that idea. Yeah, we graduated in twenty thirteen yeah. too. Josh and I both graduated <laughs> in twenty thirteen. I think all, you bunch of young kids. <laughs> I, I feel like that idea is, is really only. Is, is is much more attractive to upper middle and upper class people. Mm -hmm. Not 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 because it doesn't like help the lower, lower class, but um, if because school choice, I, I don't want to like be wrong on this. School choice is more the idea that like 
your the students should have money that's allotted to them and they can choose to put that where they want to yeah it's usually like a, a generally it's referred to like a school voucher system yeah right yeah. like but the reality would be that 80 to 90 percent of kids would just go to the local school anyway yeah and so and like well you you and and like the problem that i think would happen <clears throat> is is let's talk about like ck okay so the stereotype was that CK was a better high school than Oli, right? Uh, right. Stereotype. So what would happen is that all of those parents would probably try to get all their kids, even, like even more kids, to go well, to they CK. They did it anyway. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, even, they did it anyway. Exactly. And if you had, if it was easier to do that, you would just essentially have this kind of segregated system where there'd be super good schools because everyone wants to go there, and they put their money there, and they get more money, and then their mm -hmm. parents are usually better off, and so then they can put their their time and money into the school system and so they have amazing sports amazing yeah. clubs and then those other kids these other schools would be left like a little bit more high and dry because the people there are kind of you know you might be poor and you can't transfer your kid to the other place right. you might be just not have the time and so so it's just like ultimately i think what would happen is it's already happening now like like right. you know i like your zip code affects like a yeah. lot of your like education opportunity yes. which is sad but i think it would some cases it would get worse. Yeah. Can I steel man you a little bit? Yeah. So, um, and I don't know that I necessarily feel this way, but let's just see where it goes. So the argument generally to the counter would be that the school voucher system would force those schools, the ones that could stand to lose revenue, it forces them to, to try and be more competitive, to eke out something in there, whether it's sports or a particular program, something that's going to set them apart, that's going to make students and make, make parents want to send their kids to that school. Do you think that there's... What do you think about that? I, I think that would that could happen. I think there's probably a lot of cases where it could happen, but I do think that there are a lot of there's there's only so much trying a school can do, but if the if the if like the kids and the parents aren't invested or they don't have the means to be invested, it's really like does it like does it matter if you have an amazing German program if the kids don't know if they're going to eat at home? Yeah. And I, right. And this, I think part of the reason I brought that up is because I, I, there's a lot of talk these days about school choice, school choice, school choice. A lot of the, um, a lot of the, the new governors and stuff that are getting into this midterm race and stuff like that are talking about pushing for school choice and all this. And I think it's kind of a fallacy. I don't think, I do not think because of the things you're talking about. Yeah. At one point, we do school voucher system, right? And it might work in a city like New York where you have PS 112 over here and it's kind of a shitty school. It's in a bad neighborhood, whatever, but you could just take the city bus and you can go across town and you could do, and then you go to the, the good school. Well, PS 124. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but at that point, what happens there is already, if there's a better school somewhere where people actually have access to it, at some point, there's going to be a waiting list because schools can't just mm -hmm. exponentially grow over time. They're state-run systems. The, the idea of school choice is very appealing, but I think you cannot do it in our current educational system. The way it's run, you can't, for one, the administrative body behind that would have to grow exponentially too because how the hell do you track – one child's mm -hmm. dollars with them to another yeah. school. You'd have it's, way more it's counting. It's insane. That would that'd be so much bloat. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So just... I can let me push back on that. Mm -hmm. um, first, I want to tell Bilbo that I wrote down about the JCPS school district. I just wrote that down here. Yes, he asked us to look into it. So I'm going to take a look into that. Um, Louisville. 
the money. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was reading about the case that we're going to talk about later, I'm fairly certain I would put money on that's why I'm going to say it now. In the... Dollars down, baby. Yep, the Carson versus Macon case, right? And when they're talking about that school voucher system, only part of the money travels with the student. There's mm -hmm. a certain amount of the money that stays flat within the school district. And I would imagine... That makes sense. I would imagine that that is for things like the food program or for shit like that that you have to have for available for kids there. Yeah, like so, whether you have one kid that goes to that school or 500. Right. The amount of funding towards that school for that particular program is not, it's going to stay there static. There will be food there for the kids that go there. Mm -hmm. And that's so it's only part of the money that they get to take with them. And it says in what I was reading that's mostly for school supplies and whatever the other costs are going to be that go into the classroom outside of the other shit, the base, mm -hmm. the base services that need to be made. So, so those services, to my understanding, right? And again, <sighs> It doesn't matter. Uh, but, but to my understanding, we're always going to be there. Mm -hmm. So the concern for food that exists now with students would exist within a voucher system the exact same way because the money is going to be the exact same. Yeah. At least in the way that it's written out. Obviously, things play yeah. out as, as they go. But that's in, in pushing for a school voucher system, that's the base idea is that those services are going to be there no matter what. Yeah. And then it's just a matter of whether or not you can – if you have the means – does the school have availability? Because mm -hmm. that's always going to be a thing. If there's always going to be a better school that anybody in your community can get to, if it just if what the about like a lottery is, system? Well, then you run into like the, charter schools and stuff, or just the schools that are better. You mean yeah. at that point? I think the with the lottery system like that, uh, inevitably, especially in today's world, you're going to run into the inequity arguments of. It's just not fair to put it to chance like that because somebody is going to be in more need than others. And it's just I – don't, I don't know if I would like anybody's kid to be subject to the will of a draw Your to go to a better school. future is based school. off of a draw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and this is why ultimately I like the idea of school choice and all this stuff. But I, I just don't think that in our current educational system, the way – the framework that we have that's been around since, what, the 40s or the 50s mm -hmm. or whatever shit like that, it's not designed – that way and it's not i mean it's not designed to operate the way it should be now and that's why it's so drastically different everywhere you go and everybody's trying different programs i mean depending on where you're at you know this i'd be interested to look at that jcps district and stuff like that and just see how because it that sounds terrifying um or other voucher programs or charter school programs that people are doing but the way that the the framework is set up around schools and school districts I don't think there's much wiggle room for a structural change um, that would need to be had if you really wanted to make school choice really truly available. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it w I think it would be insane to think that if you didn't offer school choice, there aren't going to be a certain fraction of people that can fully take advantage of that and are going to have – a much better life and a you know a better education and all this good stuff but there's going to be a lot of people that just can't participate in that program for one reason or another mm, right and it's just well i i like the idea but i i i think there is a fallacy in thinking that school choice is the answer it just without a fundamental structural change of the entire education system the the machine behind it all you're doing is just kind of you're 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 working on the margins mm -hmm. and you might help some people but at the end of the day the system is going to be as not to insist that the system is broken but it's going to be as broken as it is today it'll just 
be a little better in some place and a little worse in some places. Mm-hmm. You know, the fundamental problems that people have with education itself, the, the, the curriculums, the course, when you come out the back end after graduation, that level of education is essentially going to be the same regardless. I don't think you're going to get a better or worse in any actual, you know, tangible fashion. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. I, I, I like it. I also just think it's kind of a talking point at this point. Yeah. Like, I think know. the idea is good, but I, yeah. I feel like ultimately if you implement it, it would be largely end up with a similar system we have now. Yeah. Like some kids, people, some schools are better than others because, and some schools are not. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think the, easiest place to start would be changing the funding mechanism to schools making it not reliant on property taxes yeah Yeah. you know i just i don't think that's the right way to do that it made sense i think in some capacity back in the day but at that point you know when you do that when you have a an area of the of a particular school district that is kind of you know more in poverty those schools are going to be worse Mm -hmm. And you have the more well-off areas; those areas are going to be better. Whereas, if maybe if you took a broader approach to like a statewide, you know, that way, all the money from all the people making six, seven, eight-figure salaries in the big cities, that money gets evenly distributed amongst the the people that grow up in some tiny-ass city in, in Kentucky. You know, in <laughs> yeah, some tiny little town in you know southeastern Washington. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. They. They'll have an amazing fucking school, but at that point, the the super amazing schools in the cities are going to drop down. Everything's going to level out, and some people are going to be worse off. Some people are going to be better off, but I, I don't know how you would do that. But the funding mechanism being reliant on your zip code, I think, at this point is an insane way to think about funding your schools. Yeah. You know, I, it just doesn't make sense to me because already there's inequities everywhere, obviously, and if you want a static education, the funding mechanism needs to be static somehow. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's it's too much of a logical leap to try to assume that. It just kind of seems like basic math to me. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you want to know what is the best way to inter- determine what a child's success is in elementary school? Please. If they have dinner with their parents. Ooh. That's it. That makes sense. The children who have dinner, who have dinner with their parents do drastically better than kids who don't. That and it's just makes sense to me that like it does it doesn't matter like the teacher and stuff matters the school matters obviously but more than anything do they sit down and talk with their parent because i think that's more it's an indicator of a lot of things like oh, a good yeah. family structure it means an interest in education because oftentimes at the dinner table you talk about school today mm, what'd you learn right. what'd you do at school today yeah you know usually if you're able to have dinner there's usually funds that means that you can afford to come home around dinner time talk to your kids and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so it's just like like I don't know. It's super interesting to me. That it makes total sense. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the same kind of deal with, uh, you know, do you have one parent or two at home? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's a drastic difference in whether you're going to have a better turnout or not. Your Dude, general I, success. I, I yeah. can look at someone's grade and probably with 80% accuracy know who's raising them. Like, you can see, is it single parent or grandparents? Yeah. You can, you can just look and you know. Oh, and wow. it's like, so it's crazy how accurate it is. Like, oh, this person has a 98%. Boom, both parents, like 90% of the time. And I think, so I've been thinking, I'm thinking a lot, right? And um, <laughs> when you're talking about school choice and whether or not it would broadly help people, I was thinking yeah. about myself in high school, right? When I was in high school, 
my parents are divorced. So I was living with just my mom um, for like a huge part of that time. Yeah. And when I left for high school, she was still asleep, uh, was like getting up towards the end and then was still at work for probably two or three hours when I got home. So even if there was a voucher system available, she would not have likely been able to take advantage of that without incurring extra costs for whatever it is for transportation for something for me to be able to get to and from that school yeah. on a daily basis because it wasn't going to be realistic for her to she could take me to school probably she would have to get up that would be sacrifice to sleep which is that's your own deal but um <laughs> but for, she wouldn't be able to leave work early to come and get me you know yeah so i think that yeah that's very interesting are you smoking weed in the bathroom again yeah. no <laughs> and i never yeah <clears throat> I mean, it's a nicer school than that. Come on, come on. <laughs> exactly. They have vents in this one, so you can't get caught in it. That's the whole point. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I love how this first segment went from let's let's you know get to know Josh to let's just fucking hammer out and fix education. Let's just <laughs> yeah. do this. No, we did it. That's why he's here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know. We've been going for about an hour. Uh, oh, we can we just can... move into the next segment. It doesn't. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Cool. Unless you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No, no, no. There's something you wanted to. No, not really. I'm just, I was looking at the time. I don't, we could do this for probably three hours alone, just <laughs> sitting here talking about this. Because yes. I have so many questions about just education and systems. And We'll come oh, back to it in part three. There you go. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, we could definitely do that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, you want to hit this one last topic? You want to talk about Kennedy or you want to go into the next topic? And we can talk about, about Kennedy real All quick. Right, let's do it. Okay, so. We'll talk about this and we'll lead us into the next segment, right? So mm -hmm. this is one of the cases. We've talked about this a few times as it was being discussed and as they were waiting for the decision. So it's the Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, right, is what the Supreme Court case was. And they ended up ruling in favor of Joe Kennedy. What was and it, 6-3? Six three, six I believe. Three, yeah. yeah, and I don't think I don't think it came. The decision came out like right after we were here, maybe like yeah. the Monday after we were here, or something like that. Yep. So we were kind of waiting for it, mostly just because it's local. It's been very weird to hear people say the Bre word Bremerton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, very weird. It's coach from Bremerton. It's like, oh. yeah. whoa, <laughs> just because it's such a it's a made up word, you know. So I don't know where the root of it is, but it's a it's a made up word outside of the of being a town name. So there's no other reason anybody would say it. So it's just weird. Yeah, to hear it when when I hear Bremerton, Washington on like the NPR morning podcast, <laughs> right. I go, "That's fucking weird, <laughs> yeah. man." Yeah, but, don't talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So they ruled in favor of Judge Kennedy, and for anybody who is the first time that you're here watching this, or if you don't know that much about this case, Judge Kennedy, or excuse me, <laughs> Coach Kennedy was leading was was praying in the middle of the field, and it ended up turning into a group event in which he was. There, I guess that's the argument whether or not he was leading, right? He was not necessarily leading a prayer, but was I conducting, I feel, is a safe term, and I'm not trying to put it because they found in his favor, so it doesn't matter, right? He's conducting prayer in the middle of the field. There are other people there. He wasn't yeah. coercing anybody. He wasn't forcing anybody. So they post found game. Post game, yeah, after, after the 50-yard line, and it was a private thing that he was doing initially, and the concerns came up when a rival coach complained about it, coaching staff complained about it, and then it turned into Had they lost that game? Uh and I don't know whether or not they lost the game, but I wouldn't be surprised With if they had. Right? <laughs> yes, um, because the very next game that that happened after the issue started, he, Coach Kennedy went and talked to the opposing team. It was a different team, obviously, because it's the next game. Talked to them, and a bunch of those, those, that coaching staff joined him in the middle, in the middle of the field that game. So mm. it was just that particular coach or some of his staff that had an issue with this practice. It only and takes it had been, one. It had been going on for years prior to the school district or the school even 
knowing about it or having any type of issue with it. So he lost his job. Um, I think it's unclear at this point whether or not his job is going to be made available back to him. But he did. I told you before the show, I told both of you guys that he did say he was willing to come back and take the coaching yeah. job again, which yeah. I found surprising. But I think it would really depend on uh, who the current coach is and what their record is and whether or not they want to fire him or not. Right. Because right. They, it's not like throughout this entire time there hasn't been a Bremerton football coach. Yes. And so at this point, if he wants to come back, somebody has to get fired. Right. Or let go. And I, that's. It's also not like the Patriots. Yeah. High <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that. It's a it's a three, four year thing, you know. So yeah. it's only and I hang out home to sixteen year olds. Yeah. Yes. The real prestigious position of a small town football coach in high yeah. school. Um but yeah. Uh were you making a point? Sorry. I uh, no, that was off. it. I was just kind of summarizing what had happened. Um Yeah, I think it's it is interesting because I the I think the real important topic on this story itself is the pushback after the opinion has come out um and we'll talk more about like another version of this because it comes into like uh first amendment practices and freedom of you know religion and association and freedom of speech and things like this and um a lot of the pushback is the argument of well this is there is no separation now between church and state um so when you hear the arg argument that, okay, well, now there's, there's no separation between church and state now because now coaches can just get out there and they can, they can force the kids to come out and, and pray on the 50-yard line and things like that. What's your take on that, that particular take? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't buy that because I think there's this idea that, like, there's a difference between, like, the pope controlling the state and like you as a person having religious values and then having them in a public space because because like it's, it's all like if you're like a christian you're gonna vote based off your christian values like of, like why like why wouldn't you that's you that's your if you're a muslim you're gonna vote based on your muslim values right or like your jewish values and so this idea that like separation of church and state means that your religious values will never enter into the public sphere is impossible like yeah. no one no one's saying that right like people i think some people believe that the, so, sorry, no, go ahead. Yeah, and so it, it's interesting how, like, I guess this whole, this whole Coach Kennedy case is kind of, I don't know, shown that, like, some people really don't understand what church and state means. Yeah. It's like there's a huge difference between, like, you know, Biden saying that we all are going to pray right now right. <laughs> versus, like, Joe Biden being a practicing Catholic, which he is. And so it's like, you know, he like, oh, the president takes communion? Like, Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like that's entirely okay. Right. Yeah, you have. He has the freedom to do yeah. that, whether or not he's wanted by the Catholic Church or not. He could still identify as that and still practice his own religion, no matter what he wants to do, just yeah. because he's a public employee. And I think you made the point. I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the separation of church and state is. Yes, um, when we were talking about kids for example be like prayer in school like if you're going to pray before the beginning of a class no. because the teacher is that's their policy and so, or that's the school's policy that is an example of there you need to separate the difference between church and state if a kid wants to pray in school by himself or herself or themselves um <laughs> it's that's their freedom to do that. You, right. Just because you're on the grounds of a public institution or a government institution doesn't mean you can't practice religion. Mm -hmm. It's the government forcing religion on the populace. That yeah. 
is that's the separation of church and state. And I think that is from all the takes I've seen with this and including the case we'll talk about in part three with the school, um, the religious school vouchers and stuff like this. People have a fundamental misunderstanding, like many things that especially like we talked about last episode, there's a misunderstanding of what that really means. And so when they see this, they make the false assumption that you can't have any religious practice at all on in a public institution, which is just backwards and wrong. That right. is not the case. That is not the way this whole deal works. Mm-hmm. And to assume otherwise just shows your ignorance. Right. And I think like you're saying, like like many things in politics, Indeed. this can be easily remedied by looking looking back in time. Right. <laughs> the country was founded partially for people to have sovereignty of religion. That was like part of the whole jam. That's obviously part of why people came here. The so Mayflower. exactly right. So <laughs> the separator, the separation of church and state, like you said, is not to separate the people from their religion. It's, it's to separate the government from infringing on that. And that's mm-hmm. the same. This was part of this was decided on the establishment cause and the establishment clause. And that says, I don't have the exact quote, but it's that the government can make no law infringing on your religion. That's that's the entire point. It's there in the Constitution. So yep. it's it's the first one. It's kind yes. of important. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting, and I think it leans back to what you were talking about maybe before the show of as a civics teacher how difficult the last few weeks have been. <laughs> if like this is a very this is a basic concept that forms the government that you live under. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you should understand what this means. It's important, even if you have nothing to do with politics, even if you just work as a fucking a fucking a logger or something like that. You know what I'm saying? You're in the middle of woods, you're never talking to anybody, it doesn't matter. It's important that you understand mm-hmm. what the basis of your country is so that you know the powers that you're living under. It it's never ceases to surprise me how little people know about the country that they live in, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, especially when it can so deeply impact their life when yeah. the Supreme Court is going to make a decision about something and they don't even understand the basis of it. Yeah. So I guess the question I have for you guys is, in the, dis- not the, in the dissent or the Supreme Court, some of the justices talked about the fact that it seemed like Coach Kennedy was giving extra playtime to the people who did join him in prayer. And so he was kind of implicitly, um, what's what I'm looking for? Like a good old boys club. Yeah, he was discriminating against the people who might have had different religious opinions and did not want to join in said prayer. Mm-hmm. So what what are your thoughts on, on that? Like, I have thoughts, but what, what do you guys think, like, because like, like, if you weren't, if you're like an atheist and you're not getting much playtime because you are not praying with the coach. Mm-hmm. I would initially say that um, much like w- the difficulty in a lot of criminal law, you would have to prove intent, and that is damn near impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it would be really difficult, unless this guy was really explicit about <laughs> that, to prove that. Mm-hmm. And you can't look at the side effects of of that. You know, may- What's to say these people aren't just... Maybe they're not. Um, they didn't maybe play they're just not that good. good. Right. You know. I mean, who knows? I mean, there's favoritism with all coaches. I would believe. I mean, I I played a lot of soccer growing up. You saw you saw it everywhere. It's it's hard not to assume that if, especially if you're somebody that's not getting that much play time, you maybe I don't. I'm not getting a chance to prove myself. Or whatever. There's there's no true way to really 
find out if that's the case. And understand, I mean, understandably, it's, it's, it's understandable for somebody to make an assumption like that, but um, it's, it terrifies me that a Supreme Court justice would want to go down that path uh, especially understanding that they're the highest court in the land and they're a judge and how the hell are you going to how are you going to prove that he in the, had the intent to do that by putting that in your dissent like that you're putting that that piece of dissent in people's minds to go out there and run with it because what if that happened to them or something like that you there is just law is incredibly it's incredibly complex for a reason right laws are supposed to be very very hard to they're supposed to err on the side of the defendant right you need to really 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 prove that somebody broke this particular item in this law for it you know for you to be ruled against it mm -hmm. and in when it comes to cases where intent is involved you cannot prove that unless i mean most of the time you can't prove that unless you have a piece of evidence that can prove that that's what's and, stated and if, at some point yeah that this is my intent to do this if they told yeah. someone yeah. or something <laughs> like that and even then it usually has to be like written or recorded because it's yeah. just hearsay if i tell you that this is my intent exactly. i could be lying even then yeah and you, for intent to be proven you, you just generally you can't do that and right to operate off that assumption is just you're doing the entire justice system a disservice at that point mm -hmm. which because I think that was Sonia Mayor that, that wrote that. I think that so. I think so. Yeah, that that's that doesn't surprise me coming from her because she seems to be very personal when she writes in her her opinions. And that there's no basis in law. You know, there's so many cases we've talked about even here on the show where like, okay, well, yeah, you'd have to prove intent, and they, you can't do that. How do you prove intent? You unless you have a piece of evidence. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you run the risk of persecuting somebody unjustly yeah and in the era in the era of social justice how do you not see that as a problem you're just because you don't like the way it turned out you can make the assumptions that this is bad or mm -hmm. he was bad or you know whatever it was i it's it's a bad it's a really really bad thing to be in the supreme court now recorded forever because that the sense not going to go away it's going to live there forever now and people can go back to that and try to make a precedent off of it Quoted, or refer to it or, yeah. it's not a good it's not it's a very damaging thing to the overall justice system which is already on pretty shaky ground as it is these days right when i was in when we were in junior high i played football in ninth and tenth grade right and in ninth grade <clears throat> you're automatically on varsity because that was your freshman in junior high at that point it's a weird and system it was yeah. very ruined weird. me forever it i'm was... like why are these eighth graders at the top of their class because anybody you <laughs> talk to outside of the district they're like what are you talking yeah, about exactly. why do you have a junior high you're like, i how is it not all this way um and it was i didn't get very much playing time there was a couple of people that didn't and i never and then when I played in high school, um, I was I was swing playing. I was playing varsity and junior varsity my first year in high school. Ooh. I never considered that there was uh, any type of malicious reason as to why Rusty Wilson chose to not play me. Like I, at some point, I said something about it and then got playing time, you know. And so I don't. I assumed that it was because most of the people that were playing varsity also played in seventh and eighth grade. So they had been playing at a certain time. When you're talking about football, team sports, there's a team cohesion that's there. If you have a group of kids oh, yeah. that have been playing together for three years, <laughs> mm -hmm. they already know how each other moves. They already know things about each other. They've grown up together, you know what I'm saying, in that sense. So, uh, yeah, I th 
especially in sports there it would be very difficult to oh yeah to prove why he did something you know yeah, yeah i never considered that there was any type of Rusty Wilson liked me way more than was uh, sounds like a second Coach Albie. Right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty Wilson. Yeah, no, he trademarked by Russ Wilson. Yeah, probably. he he liked me way more than the high school coach did, and I got way more playing time in high school. So yeah, I never, I never, I agree with you. It concerns me to think about that mm-hmm. and think that in the time of just woke people and crazy people who who take a thing and, and blow it out of proportion that someone mm-hmm. my mom you've met my mom right she's, she's she's pretty far to the left and you had somebody who was less stable in their mind could take a situation like that and fucking blow it out of proportion about like oh is this because my kid isn't religious is it because they're because he's a quarter mexican is it because this is it because of this and that's a scary thing like you said to be planting in history like that yeah that could be scooped up if you if you find the right type of activist lawyer that's mm-hmm. going to spend the time oh, yeah. and dig through all the dissents in any case that might be relevant and try and build a case on that. That's yeah. And I have some sympathy for like high school coaches too, when you think about it, because on the professional level, right, you have X amount of people on your team for a, a determined amount of time that is going to be more than three years, generally speaking, right. Or the main core of the team. Yeah. And you need to work out the player dynamics, who has, you know, who does better in this place, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, where are your, your losses and your gains and who's the best and who's the worst and blah, blah, blah. And then you, you, you kind of move players around and you give them certain times or certain people work better together than others and this and that and the other thing. But when you're dealing with high school sports, there's a lot riding, especially with the, like the juniors and seniors, I would imagine in particular, because there's going to be scouts at certain places kind of like right. trying mm-hmm. to pick up people for colleges. And do you, as a coach really want to, I mean, you're going to have to, do you have to totally go equity and give everybody completely equal playing time, regardless of trying to how win. the team's working? Exactly. <laughs> you're trying to win the games, man. You're trying to get a good record for your school. So you can hang that banner up in the gymnasium and shit like that. So I have some sympathy for those coaches because yeah, he may like you. You may be a great player, man, but Maybe you don't jive with this particular core. Maybe I, I I got plans for you next year, man. We're losing half the half the varsity team to graduation next year. I've seen the way you play in practice. I know how you do in scrimmages. You know all this good stuff. Like I got a spot for you next year. Maybe maybe he's thinking about that. Maybe he's not. Maybe he just doesn't like the looks here. Maybe he <laughs> right. You know, who knows? There's too much at play there, and we're not going to play thought police about this. And so I have a lot of sympathy for these coaches, man, because the more you start to think about it, they're under a lot of pressure too from parents, school districts, so on and so forth. Just the name of the game itself. My kid's playing for the Jags. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that for every, yeah, every kid who played under someone who, even like Larry Dixon or someone who went on to play for a college or professional team, I'm sure there's a kid who played under them. It's like, if I only got more playing time, I could have fucking done the same thing. You yeah. know? But same deal. If you have someone... If Marshawn Lynch is your high school running back, are you going to let anybody else run the ball? Or are you going to give him the ball every fucking time because he's going to score a goddamn touchdown? You're going to let him run the ball every time, you know? If you have a freak-ass quarterback, are you going to let him hand the ball off? Or are you going to let him fucking throw it? You're going to have him throw it every fucking time because he's going to get the job done. Yep. It it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's got to be a tough thing for those guys, man, to kind of balance. And then they're trying to just also work on just, you know, bringing you know growing these kids up 
in that environment because there's so many benefits to just being a part of a mm-hmm. team and, and playing a competitive sport like that. So you don't want to crush the spirit exactly. of the second man because he's never going to play. So exactly. Crush the spirit. Yeah. There's, when we were in junior high, I don't think they did it in high school, but in junior high they had a thing. I don't know if they did it in every sport, but in football they had a fifth quarter, right? So mm. for kids that weren't going to play in the first four quarters, there was a fifth quarter of the game that – that's was not obviously how math works. Was not a real. <laughs> it was not good, um, and because it doesn't feel good to play in the fifth quarter, you know, if you only play in the fifth quarter, it doesn't feel good. So, um, but that's like it was designed, you know, so everybody's going to get playing time. You know, it's a, probably one of those fucking equity things. That's like, you know, we're going to make sure everybody gets their time on the field. But like, say, if you only play in the fifth quarter, it doesn't feel good, yeah. you know. And they designed that for like non-cut teams because in junior high. I think in high school, too, the football teams were non-cut. There were not enough people to make cuts. Oh. So you kept everybody that tried out. But it just, just on a sheer numbers time, game. But your playing time was determined on how good you were. So if you were shit, you could be on the team and you would be at practice, but you were really only going to play if somebody got hurt. You mm-hmm. know, you weren't going to play in that position if you were not good enough. But they weren't – I don't know if they weren't allowed to – I don't know exactly how that system came about, yeah. but it, they were non-cut teams for football. But baseball was a cut team. Like, there were other sports that were cut sports, but it was just football. So Interesting. Isn't football teams, they're much bigger? Usually, you, yeah. Like, you need an offense and a defense. And... Yeah, but yeah. there was – in high school and junior high, there's a lot of double play. There's a lot of people that play on offense and defense. That's very common, especially – especially if you're good if you're just a good general athlete you're going to be on the field more because you can handle more play but if you have shit stamina they're gonna even if you're good they're gonna switch you out a lot because they don't want you to gas yourself out in the first half of the game and then not be able to do anything in the second half yeah so you're just a special teams guy so a lot of that (laughs) it depends yeah um but i know especially in junior high and high school, there's a lot of double play. A lot of that goes on. That makes sense. Uh, and maybe it was just because we were non-cut teams, uh, but I got to imagine that it happens a lot yeah. all <laughs> over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start to be in college and professional, it's a little more risky. You have more on the line when you're on yeah. the field, so you want that person to be in their specialized position as opposed to doing whatever. Like I said, if you're just a good general athlete, if you're good – offensive lineman you can probably be a decent defensive lineman if we need you to be in there because you really need to just run forward and be disruptive mm-hmm. you know so if the core is there then you could do the same thing there's a lot of skills that translate to either side of the ball there are a lot of running backs that'll play linebacker and stuff like that a lot of wide receivers that play quarterback as well um that's the same side of the ball but that's still very common like for people to just oh, yeah. play multiple positions in junior high and high school. Yeah. If you catch, you better be able to throw. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of people, especially if your intent is to go far, small sports, I guess, but if your intent is to go far, it behooves you to be able to play more than one position because if you maybe get on a team and they don't need another quarterback, but you can play wide receiver, you can train and get better at wide receiver and then maybe get more playing time, get more money, right? Yeah. That's very common. Cordell Patterson is a great example of that. He plays for the Falcons. He signed there as a wide receiver last year and played running back like 70% of the time. Because that's interesting because they needed him there because yeah. all their running backs are shit that type of stuff <laughs> happens all the time and i can see like especially when you're like with a wide receiver especially right it would be good for you to know how to play quarterback because yes you guys are teamed up all the time you yes. got to know how those different positions work together and then maybe even then with the the wide receiver running back just seems strange to me because they're usually of a very different build yes. those type of humans and you know you want to 
a you know you want a beast mode tank guy like Marshawn to be able to just run through a wall of humanity Who's versus he? you know the long you know kind of a gangly Sherman with like the giant ass <clears throat> arms and the super long legs makes him be able to r- fucking run like a lightning bolt right it's Isn't very Debo different kind of both uh, Debo Sim he is enormous yeah and that's what makes him one of like the freak style athletes is that he is an enormous individual and is also shit about able to I'm learning yeah, <laughs> yeah he's extremely fast I think he's 6'5 um, and it was the same deal for like Cam Newton was the same type of deal Cam Newton was like 6'5 235 pounds that's a, just a that's a large that's person to play quarterback human. because he's also super <laughs> yeah. fucking fast you know so that type of stuff does happen um, it, Taysom Hill is another example. He is a tight end for the Saints, but when Drew fucking Drew Brees wasn't playing, he played quarterback. He's, he's a great quarterback. He was totally serviceable. So it just depends, you know, when you're that high status, it behooves you to know how to do more than one thing so you can stay on the field all the time. You're always in the eye of the fans, of the coaches, of everybody who's there. So, And this is why. You should have the freedom to pray on the 50-yard line after a football game. That's it. <laughs> That's it. With that, we will take our first break. Yeah, we'll be back in just a few minutes for uh, part two. We'll talk about some more Supreme Court cases. Yes. So, let's do it. Thank Thanks, guys. Much. Welcome to the salt of the streets. Coming at you every week. With this food for thought, hope you're ready. They eat it every day.